always locked on heat. Biscayne, South Beach. Goldberg and Ramil. Talking heat, body chill. Got the stats in the news. Got the facts in the views. Never know what they gon' say. Mailbag on a Monday. Pat Rouse got the pack ride. Coach Spoke got the know how. Three bands in the raps now. Heat Nation, that's a packed house. Heat talk at the game time. Heat talk every day. I'm always locked on heat. Got it locked on heat. Always locked on heat. Keep it locked on heat. Seat geek for the cheek. What's the day got the heat? Locked on heat hopes. West Goldberg and David All right, let's do this. Welcome to Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. My name is Wes Goldberg, credentialed writer for the Step Back and Miami Heat Tip-Off Mag. I'm here as always with credentialed NBA writer David Ramil. We are recapping Sunday's 193 win over the Bulls. We'll answer your Twitter questions, then we'll talk about our spotlight players from the game and preview Tuesday's game against the Cavaliers. Uh, But first, look, the Heat have won three straight games, are above 500 for the first time since they were 2-1. And they're playing the best basketball of the season. But that wasn't the case in the first quarter of Sunday's game. Right, David? No, they actually set a, a franchise low seven total points in the first quarter against a pretty bad Chicago Bulls team that's obviously rebuilding. So Chicago with only three wins all season. And yet somehow they managed to keep Miami at just seven points. You tweeted it out and I in total agreement. It didn't look like they were taking bad shots. They simply weren't falling in. It, it looked much worse. You know, if you tell anybody it's a seven point first quarter, it sounds horrific. Yeah. But they were taking wide open shots that should and normally would have fallen and eventually did wind up falling for Miami. Did they did they just need to sweat out some of that maybe Saturday night fever a little bit? Yeah. I guess in, in Chicago in November you got nothing else to do. Maybe you were out late that night and, and you know, it wasn't a really early game. It's not like a noon tip off, although it was a little earlier in Chicago, but at the same time I guess it just it seemed a little rusty. Uh, James Johnson spoke after the game saying he prefers day games, uh, but I guess the rest of the team did not. Well, they followed it up with the best second quarter they had all season. They scored 38 points, sort of evened things out, right? The worst first quarter in franchise history followed up by the best second quarter of the season. They end up going in a halftime with uh, 44 points or 43 points or whatever it was. But um, really the story of the game was Miami's bench stepping up because Deion Waiters just didn't have it. Josh Richardson went uh, 0 of 6, 0 of 5 on the night. And at the end of the game, Eric Spolster really re- leaned on his bench. Guys like Tyler Johnson, James Johnson, Wayne Ellington, Kelly Olynyk. Those were the guys finishing the game as opposed to Waiters, Richardson, and Whiteside, right? And who Whiteside, yeah. of course, was injured. Right. Well, we should point that out, obviously. Whiteside uh, diagnosed with a, a, a knee bruise that's been bothering him all season and obviously kept him out of five games earlier in the year. Um, he was limited and he wasn't practicing the day before, might not have appeared in tonight's game, but he did suit up. And unfortunately he didn't seem quite as, you know, energetic as normal. Uh, you know, he was, he was effective in some ways. You know, you, you said he had a, a good overall game, but he did seem a little lethargic, slower than normal, even going up against a guy that's fairly physical and not exactly super athletic and, and Robin Lopez. Um, but yes, the bench. Oh, I'm sorry. I should point out also Dion Waiters struggled mightily there. He he was uh, he had a couple of big shots, but overall he was not effective. Just seems to be missing a lot of shots. Too he was uh, pretty yeah. yeah. 
He was pretty effective in getting to Chris Dunn, though. He seemed like he was jawing at him from the bench. That was an interesting. I wonder what that that exchange might have been like. But the bench, Miami's bench, was definitely the, the key to the game. And and you know, in that second quarter, they just seemed to bring an energy uh, that the starters didn't have. I mean, Kelly Olynyk in particular seemed effective, setting screens, knocking down shots, using some effective low post moves as well, getting past either Markinen or Lopez, whoever was guarding him, and it seemed to be really effective. Of course, Wayne Ellington looked really, really good shooting from, from the perimeter, as he has for most of the last few games, to be honest with you. And look, it was, this was the same rotation that the Heat have used for the last several games, uh, with James Johnson, Olenek, Ellington, and Tyler Johnson coming off the bench. And in this game, all four of those guys scored in double digits. The bench was responsible for 54 of Miami's 100 points total. I mean, you mentioned Waiters. Seven points only. Wins only had four points, even though he didn't. He, he was two of five from the field. Josh Richardson missed all five of his shots. Um, really, the only the guy to step up in that starting lineup was Dragic, and Whiteside played only twenty one minutes, and he just he like you said he was injured. He just didn't have it uh, to play more really than that. Dragic was the only guy that stepped up in that starting unit. So it was Dragic and the bench to end that game. Kelly Olynyk came in particularly and just gave that team. Um, a huge spark offensively. You know, you talk, they were just not able to hit anything in the first quarter. He comes in, um, he starts making some shots. He has a positive plus minus for the game. Uh, ends up finishing with a plus five. James Johnson had a great game at plus 11. We'll talk about him later on in our spotlight. But I thought Olenek in particular at the end of the game, he struggled a little bit. Defensively, Chicago was getting to the rim a lot and kind of was getting whatever they wanted there for a, a few minutes in the fourth quarter, and it got pretty close. But then Olenek flipped the switch a little bit, kind of got things together, and and then offensively was able to just hit a couple. He had a three point, a big three pointer later in the game. Was just passing at an unbelievable level. Was just getting everybody involved. Was making the right basketball, the right basketball play over and over and over again. And him and Dragic. At one point, yes. had this terrific give and go at the end of the they game did. that really just sort of it didn't put the game away, but it really kind of sealed. It, it kind of got the Heat going a little bit to put the game away. It was an easy shot that they hadn't had before that, and they, I think that's what Dragic needed to really put the game uh, to ice the game at the end. Yeah, I mean that was you never really felt that they were going to lose to the Chicago team despite that first quarter. It seemed like that was more of an aberration than anything else, particularly. Following two strong showings against the Boston Celtics and the Minnesota Timberwolves, you thought this would be a pretty easily game that they could handle. Uh, unfortunately, it started off rustly, but you know, again, you weren't overly concerned. You just wanted to see it engaged. Through the second, third, and fourth quarters, they seemed like they were just able to make up for that difference in the first quarter, kind of built up just enough of a lead to create a little bit of a cushion there. But in the fourth quarter, that's when they seemed to kind of really cement things. And Chicago did what they've done all season. You know, this isn't. You know, this isn't a knock on the Bulls necessarily. It's just they're not particularly good. You know, they're a rebuilding team, and they just don't have that depth. Miami just seemed to turn it up when it mattered most, and that's something that we hadn't seen over the first 15 or so games of the season. Well, you mentioned the Minnesota win and the win against the Celtics. We haven't talked about that because we had Thanksgiving break off, and then the Minnesota game happened over the weekend. We'll talk about that uh, with our Twitter comments uh, coming up, people using the hashtag AskLOHeat. Uh, but first, Locked On Heat still has some inventory for sponsorships this season. This is a great, affordable way for local South Florida businesses to connect and engage with Heat fans. Traditional advertising doesn't work the way it used to. If you've tried it, you already know this. Podcast listeners are 65% more likely to engage with sponsors. Our rates are reasonable, and they're based on the number of listens, so you get the most bang for your buck. For more information, you can email us at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com. 
All right, let's get to our first Twitter comment. This comes from Taylor Monk. He says, seven point first quarter, but 93 points in the next three quarters combined. Maybe they have turned a corner. And I want to combine this with the fact that Miami is on a uh, four-game win streak now. They beat Minnesota. They beat Boston. In particular, two really good games. They were able to get this game on the road on a weird Sunday afternoon. They, do you think they've turned a corner? Because I really feel like they may have. I, you know, the thing is, I'm, I'm not sure exactly if turn a corner is the appropriate, you know, phrase there or way of describing it. Because even though I was pessimistic about what I was seeing on the floor, I think you and I both really believed that this team just wasn't playing at the level that they're capable of playing at. And we've seen them play better over the last few games. Yeah. If you want to call that turning a corner or just playing up to the potential that they should have been playing up to all season long. It's up to you. But to me, I'm not sure of turning the corner. You know, they, they were doing things well defensively during during some rough stretches earlier in the season. Uh, they weren't you know, scoring at a high rate earlier in the season. You know, maybe now they're doing it. I don't I don't know if that 93 points against the Bulls in the last three quarters of the game <laughs> is indicative of, a, of a, a turning point. It was nice to see them not fold against the Celtics, you know, after they, they had a, a really large lead against Boston. And then Boston chipped away, chipped away in the third quarter. And that was a point, I think, where Miami earlier or a few games earlier in the season probably would have folded and just yeah. said, look, we don't have it. Instead, they kind of got those big shots, were able to build up another little bit of a lead, and were able to put away the game somewhat convincingly. And against Minnesota, Carl Anthony Towns came out and almost and did his darndest to get Minnesota back in that game. Um, yeah. And then, look, this was a tight game against Chicago. We could talk about whether or not they should have. it should have been a tight game. But, look, this was a weird game. It was 13-7 after the first quarter. Um, yeah. It was on the road after two emotional wins. This could have been a trap game. And Miami could have let this one slip away, but they didn't, especially because their, their two-minute guy, Deion Waiters, was not playing well. They found other ways to win. Uh, you're right. These are games that they probably previously, earlier in the season, may have not won. And that's... Sort of what happened last season between the first half of the season and the second half of the season when they went 11 and 30 to 30 and 11. That 30 11 stretch, a lot of times they were winning games in the fourth quarter, and that's what has happened the last three games. I think I said earlier it was a four game win streak. It was a three, it's a three game win streak right now. But well, you're looking I, ahead. That's fair. <laughs> so, yeah, look, this team is finding ways to win. I don't. I, I agree with you. I don't. I don't want to go at saying turning the corner because like that's semantics, and I don't, we don't need to necessarily talk about that. But there was one thing that we were saying even before these three games. The last time we were talking was that it feels like the Heat are figuring things out. It feels like the Heat are about to hit their stride and start winning games, and those shots should start going in, and guys are going to start playing better. It just felt like they were about to do this, right? If if, the, if we can call it turn a corner, let's call it turn a corner. It felt like it was about to happen. I think it has happened. I think a yeah. lot of Heat fans internally felt like we were going to win that Boston Celtics game, that we were going to snap that 6 really? game win streak. I thought, I felt it. I think a lot of Why? Heat Twitter felt it. Why? I just, again, I think the Heat were just, they were right there, man. They were like right on the precipice of just turning the corner, like Taylor huh. said. I really, I felt like they were going to win that game. I know I saw like you know Stephen A. Smith predicted Miami would win. Yeah. I guess I, well, I did see a lot. Well, as soon as he said it, I was like, "Well, it's done. Why even play the game?" Yeah, like Boston was going to win. Is that what you thought? No, well, sort of. I was tongue in cheek and making fun of Stephen A. And so were you. Yeah, so. no, I did. That's what I, <laughs> I, I thought once he predicted it was going to be the exact opposite, but um, you know, I, I didn't expect it to be honest with you. I, I thought there was a chance. 
always. I mean, they are a better team that they looked for the first, you know, 15 yeah. games of the season. You know, they had some bright moments. I was looking early, you know, earlier at their record, and it was just, you know, they beat up Indiana when before they figured it out. They beat up Chicago, and that was barely eking out a win. Um, you know, they just they hadn't played well against good teams, but that I think that Boston game was a, a turning point. You know, maybe not for the team itself, like as far as their level of play, but I think psychologically it showed them that they were able to withstand yeah. the pressure of a really good Celtics team and kind of figure it out and, and, and play better than they had in the past. So I wonder if they're looking at it and saying, you know what, we're capable of beating the best team in the league. Why can't we continue to beat teams? You know? Yeah. Well, you mentioned figuring it out. And one guy that hasn't figured it out right now is Josh Richardson. That takes us to our next uh, mailbag or Twitter question. Watching Josh Richardson continuously put up a shot and brick it is getting unwatchable. He needs to start attacking the rim. Justice Winslow has been more aggressive driving into the lane, and he's been hitting jump shots afterwards. Richardson just needs to see that ball go into the net. That comes from Lyle Yahweh. Uh, look, Richardson didn't play well to get this game, 0-5 from the field. He hasn't played well all season. Justice Winslow actually has a better shooting percentage than Josh Richardson this season. It's It's... Incredible to, incredible to me that Josh Richardson hasn't played very well because he was playing. He was having such a strong preseason. I granted it's preseason versus regular season. It's not the same thing, but he just looks so good, uh, and it just completely fall off a cliff lately. That said, what he still brings defensively is great. He's still valuable to the for, to the team. I think he was still a positive. Pl- yeah, he's still plus eleven against yeah. the Bulls despite not making a field goal. Uh, that said, what do you think his struggles are? Uh, due to offensively, David? Uh, you know, he's 3 of 19 of this recent three-game stretch. That's tough, man. 3 of 19. Yeah. You, all, you talk about all the time that he gets really frustrated with himself, and you think a lot of times it's mental with him. You know, the more I keep seeing and talking to some players, you know, you mentioned recently the, the profile I did on Jalen Brown, mm-hmm. and, you know, Aaron Gordon is another guy who always talks about being in the present and focusing on this. I just think we assume that guys are these incredible athletes and as a result they can play through anything and the reality i think is that there's a incredible amount of pressure that we don't see uh, on them to perform at a high level uh, to live up to their contracts in josh's case i think that's what it is i think he's he's he has a bad game and that one bad game turns into a bad stretch where he can't sleep at night where he keeps thinking about mm-hmm. it the next game he starts off missing a shot and then it's not just that first shot it's the four after it and so on and so on and so on and I just, at this point, I, if I was Spolstra, I would seriously consider having, you know, benching him. Uh, I just don't know that there's another option to come in and fill in for yeah. Richardson at this point because, you know, Winslow's already starting and James Johnson looks so effective off the bench. But, I mean, Richardson needs a break from himself, but he's not going to get it. Uh, and, you know, with the, the rotation currently set up the way it is, unless we make a move somehow or you insert Ellington maybe, but then you give up a lot of defense. You're, I mean, you're absolutely right. Look, he's contributing positively in other ways. His defense has been great on Andrew Wiggins, on on you know on Denzel Valentine today. Um, you know, he's he's made some really nice things on, on the floor, done some nice things out on the floor, but it's just psychologically, I think he's just shooting himself in the foot. His shot looks flat too, and I don't want to give him the excuse of injury. And I don't know what sort of injury would cause a shot, a, a flat wrist, shot. Wrist yeah, problem. a wrist injury. Yeah, I wonder if it, if I wonder if that's what's going on. I've been looking at his shot the last three games. Maybe it's mental still. Uh, it's something with his form. I don't know, but 
it is worrisome, and I'm with you. I think they need to figure something out. It might help to bring him off the bench where he can kind of just sit back, come in, and instead of being relied on in a starting role. But you're right. Like, who do you put? Do you put Wayne Ellington in that spot? Do you start Justice Winslow at small forward and 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 bring James Johnson in as your starting no. power forward? I don't think you do that, especially since how good Winslow has been at, at the stretch four. You don't want to ruin what what he's kind of got going the last few games. Uh, so you're. I don't know what other options that they would have. Yeah, and, and with Dion playing the way he is so up and down, I don't know that there is another option. I was thinking Tyler Johnson, maybe or that's a really small lineup, but you, you kind of need Tyler's energy off the bench because he does provide a spark. And whether he's yeah. effective or not, that's also a game-to-game type of situation. But he does provide a higher energy level, a boost sometimes, particularly defensively. And um, yeah, yeah, I don't think you can make that sacrifice. You're giving up several inches and several pounds if you have Tyler replace Josh Richardson. And I think you need the, that. You need what Josh provides out there. Now we're going to get to our spotlight players, but first a quick reminder, make sure that you have subscribed to David Locke's Locked On NBA podcast for all of your national NBA news throughout the offseason. He's got interviews with coaches, scouts, and league insiders. Also, check out the rest of what the Locked On Podcast Network has to offer, including shows for every NBA team and your favorite NFL team, which may or may not be the Miami Dolphins or Locked On Dolphins, so you can listen to uh, why they are so bad. The Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right. Let's get to our spotlight players now. Who is your spotlight player, David? Um, to me, it was James Johnson. Uh, you know, I mentioned that he seemed to have a, a level of energy that wasn't there in a starter starting unit, and uh, he just really provided a heck of a boost. Twenty-eight minutes played more than any other starter other than Goran Dragic. So he, you know, he was getting some really significant minutes. Look, Ellington played thirty minutes. He, he was a, an interesting player out there. He had you know nineteen points. Continues to shoot well. Tyler Johnson provided a nice spark as well, played 30 minutes. But James Johnson just seemed like he had a little bit extra today. I'm not sure what it was. Um, you know, his shot from the perimeter wasn't an issue, but he was just driving to the hoop, creating opportunities there. Finished 7 of 9 with 15 points. Had 7 rebounds and 6 assists to go along with 2 steals and 2 blocks. That is as complete and thorough a game as you can possibly hope for from anybody, much less somebody off the bench. Uh, and I think we've seen an improvement from him. He's not being as, you know, passive as he was earlier in the season. That was something that you and I had talked about as, as a glaring deficiency for Johnson. You know, he just looked like he was overthinking things again, that psychological aspect of the, of the NBA player that we tend to overlook that we tend to ignore. It seemed like he was just thinking things, think overthinking things. And that was a problem for him. And said, now he's just reacting, using his speed, I don't know if he's, you know, maybe getting into a little bit better playing shape. I, I had commented earlier in the season, or was it maybe during the preseason, that he looked a little bit bloated. I remember I that. I think yeah. he looks. I think he looks a little lighter, or maybe he's just playing with a little bit more grace and agility. It just seemed like, like he's had some really nice spin moves. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I got. I got to interject. Justice Winslow's spin move. I think it was in the second oh, yes. quarter. Wasn't that awesome that, to the, in, the spin move into the floater? Yeah, that was that was great. I mean. That's an offensive touch there that I didn't think he had or we hadn't seen displayed for most of the last three seasons. Yeah, that was great. Uh, look, James Johnson, also a big thing for him, zero turnovers. He, yes. had, been, he had been committing almost four, three or four turnovers a game. Right. and The passing was not sharp there. Now it looks yeah. much more precise. There was one time there, I forget who it was who he hit, but he just it was just a touch pass. He had it in his fingers for a second, and then he immediately jetted. And maybe it was... Olenek or Dragic, I can't remember now who it was, but it just like really, really nice touch pass. I remember what you're talking uh, about. I can't remember who he was passing it to, but you're right. It was it was just good decisions. He's 
Look, and the other thing about James Johnson is he brings the ball up a lot, and he ha- and he's got a loose dribble. He needs to tighten up that dribble. I think that Spolster is. He's not allowing him to do it as much. I think he's really relying on Dragic and Waiters and even Josh Richardson. And in, in this game, Justice Winslow brought the ball up a whole lot too. He's relying on those guys a little bit more who have a little bit of a tighter dribble than James Johnson to bring the ball up because James Johnson was just getting himself in bad situations where uh, defenses were recognizing that he's got a loose dribble, a high dribble, and they were trapping him pretty early. And and I, he's been doing less and less of that. And that kind of puts him in that secondary ball handling role, which is is what he's better at. You put him already in the half court as opposed to bringing the ball up, and all of a sudden he can really make a lot more things happen. Uh, he was great. My my spotlight player was Goran Dragic, seven of eleven from the from the floor for twenty four points. He had three assists. Uh, he three of or four of seven from three point range. He was awesome. I mean, in, in a game where look, Dragic has a tendency to sometimes be a little passive and allow Dion Waiters to take over the last couple minutes of a game. He didn't have that option today. Dion Waiters was not on the floor for the fourth quarter. Waiters did not play well. He wasn't shooting the ball well. It was Goran Dragic and a bunch of bench players, and so it was Goran Dragic who was trusted really there at the end, as well as James Johnson, who had eight eight points in the fourth quarter, I think. Um, yeah, that's right. It was him and James Johnson basically running, scoring points for the Heat at the end of that ball game, and it was Goran Dragic in particular played awesome. He was getting where he wanted. He was not forcing shots like Deion Waiters would, which a lot of times for Waiters that ends up working out just fine, but was not forcing shots, was just getting it within the offense, but also being aggressive at the same time. Prime example is that give and go with Kelly Olynyk. Um, and getting to the line, six of seven from the free throw line. That's, I mean, that's a glaring weakness of his throughout the season, and Dion as well. For as much as they like driving to the hoop, that doesn't always translate into either a made shot or a trip to the free throw line. It did for Dragic today. I, you know, you could say it's a lot to do with. Uh, you know, Chicago's really bad backcourt. You know, uh, uh, Holiday and, and Chris Dunn aren't exactly an all-star back t- a backcourt. But yeah. at the same time, you know, they are NBA-caliber players, and Dragic was able to take advantage of that mismatch. I'm, I'm okay with Dragic taking over at the, in the last couple minutes. He just makes, I mean, yeah. Deion Waiters at the end of games. Against that, you know, he gets a lot of credit for that Celtics win, right, Is in how he it's, was able to answer uh, Kyrie nice Irving at the end. But... Yes. He, he made a lot of dumb shots, and he missed a lot of shots at the end of that game, too, that he should have pa- passed up, that I think Goran Dragic in that situation would have made a better basketball play. I'm, I'm very okay with Goran Dragic being the guy at the end of games, and I think he should be. If Deion Waiters has it going, he's got the hot hand, go for it. But I, I want the ball in Dragic's hands, because more times than not, he's going to make the right basketball play. I'd rather rely on that than just some sort of magic. I, I don't know. I don't know because that's the thing about magic is when it's when it's on, it is something to watch and, and extremely powerful. But when it's I off, I trust Dragic to recognize the magic. If he sees the magic, that is that is probably something that's an underrated aspect of his game. Like you know, we, we look at his scoring. He's not as much. You know, he doesn't rack up the you know the gaudy assist numbers that other point guards around the league does. But I think he's heavy enough to understand as cliche as it might sound to be the, the quarterback of the team out there to know who to feed at what times. And that's probably an underrated aspect of his game. And, you know, it's something that's vital, I think, out of the point guard position. All right. So next, the Heat will play the Cavaliers in Cleveland. That's on Tuesday. Miami putting their 10-9 and record on the line there. Um, that's going to be a good game. First time against uh, Dwayne Wade as a Cavalier. 
Yeah, I don't know that it makes much of a difference now after you know <laughs> what four games last year against the Bulls, but it's still gonna be a little uh, weird. It'll still be a little weird. It'll be Dwayne it Wade is. in a different uniform again, like a different sure. different uniform. Sure, I, I I hope that our listeners won't spew too much Wade related vitriol on on Tuesday, but I I don't know if that'll be the case or not. I know there's still a lot of, a lot of resentment out there for for him deciding to go join LeBron James in Cleveland, but uh, he's played well off the bench. You know he had some struggles earlier in the season, um, but watch for him to do what he did for many years here in Miami: make plays, get a couple of rebounds. Not necessarily playing engaged defense because that's just not his strong suit at this point in his career. But he will get a couple blocks every once in a while due to that six eleven wingspan. Um, you know, Cleveland coming off a back-to-back on Tuesday. They play the night before. Miami has a couple of days rest. Yep. Uh, hopefully they'll be able to take advantage of that. Uh, but you and I were talking about the potential mismatch, the issue with Whiteside. Obviously, his health is going to be a concern. If he's healthy, he'll go. But I'm not sure that it's necessarily the best situation for him to go up against Kevin Love, who's playing the, st- the starting center position for Cleveland. I mean, it, it might be more effective for Miami to – shift Olenek into the starting lineup and have him kind of match up with Love. I think he can do a pretty good job. Obviously, there's a little history between the two players, um, so I'm curious to see how that would play out. I don't think it's been an issue last season, but um, I, I wonder how that might work out for Miami, and I wonder if Spolster would be willing to make the change. Probably not, unless Whiteside takes a turn for the worse. Yeah, you know, and, and look, Whiteside did not look good against uh, against the Bulls. I mean, he just didn't look... He, he was like almost limping down the court yeah. if if look you're right they get a couple of days of rest maybe he's better by then and hopefully he is because they'll need white side if they're gonna if they're gonna beat cleveland um i think he'll be he'll be valuable to them but it would be interesting to see if you know they put him on a minutes restriction and if they do that spolster decides it would be better to bring him off the bench and start olenic i, I kind of like that idea i'm also interested to see justice winslow is he going to um play ag- against uh, lebron james you know, oh, yeah. or or will or will will they do like they did with Carl Anthony Towns, put Winslow on Kevin Love, and then hide whoever their center may be somewhere else on the floor, um, on on Jay Crowder or something? Which we saw the I saw the Detroit Pistons actually did that. They took Andre Drummond and put, put Drummond on Crowder. on Crowder, and then they played their better defenders against Love and LeBron. But they wound up losing anyway, did they not? Yeah. So maybe it's <laughs> not a great strategy. I don't know. Who knows? Uh, all right. Well, um, that's all we have for today. Thank you for listening. You can send mailbag questions for later this week to LockedOnHeat at gmail.com. Tweet your questions and comments for our recaps using the hashtag AskLOHeat. Make sure that you subscribe to the show to get podcasts automatically every day. You can do that on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Then go to iTunes, rate us, review us, say nice things about us. Theme song is by CeeLo Keys. Outro music is courtesy of Mojave Wild. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for joining me, David. You got it, Wes.